This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Well, tonight we are going to continue our study as we look at key words. We're using um, a book written by J.I. Packer as a, a guide uh, to enhance, I guess, and, and uh, encourage us to get involved in the process. Uh, I like books. Uh, I like reading. I was not a reader. I tell people this. Did not read at all. Uh, I think I was forced to read Old Yeller and whether we're Redfern Groves in school. And I think I fought that until the very end. And uh, so when I went off to college uh, in preparation for ministry, I, I did not read at all. And uh, right before that, I should say, right before that, I'd never read at all. And I got a book in the mail. Uh, I was, Sharon and I were part of a Billy Graham crusade. And we were uh, counselors for Billy Graham Crusade in Georgia. And I got involved with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association at that point. Uh, and uh, just got in the mail one day from them a book by Donald Whitney, who is now a professor at Southern Seminary uh, and uh, just a remarkable man of the faith. And in that envelope was a book. It was uh, Spiritual Disciplines. And it's a book that I I use over and over and over, and that was the first time that I got something, and I said, you know what, I read my Bible, I'm going to read this book, Uh, and that book literally changed the way I looked at my spiritual life, Uh, and for the first time as a human being, I realized the value of reading, Uh, and so I, I cannot sit still very long. Um, I don't go into my little reading room for hours at a time. I'm, I'm a very, uh, I, I read in spurts, uh, but I love reading and I love, you know, thinking. So I want to encourage you, we all need to be readers. Uh, and I think we read scripture and it almost is ignorant. So don't tell me this as well. There's certain things just don't tell me it just don't. Uh, I mean, what are you saying when you say, I don't enjoy reading? I mean, what, what is that saying? If you just say that out loud, I don't like reading, what does that sound like? It just doesn't sound like you have a lot of sense, does it? Um, everybody ought to enjoy reading. We don't have to be a nerd to enjoy reading. We, can just, we don't have to be smart to enjoy reading. But to say that you don't enjoy reading is basically saying you just, you don't, you know, that's just so don't say it. Uh, so we all ought to become readers. You know, this this book here is 180, 100, 200 pages, 220. Uh, if I read 10 pages a day, maybe skip a day now and then, I read a book a month. Read this book in a month. How many people would be willing to say they read 12 books last year? And if you think about it that way, well, I mean, you know, if you read, you know. So anyway, I do enjoy reading. I enjoy putting books in people's hands as long as the book gets you to the book. That is, that is to me a good book. Uh, and so, yes, I've asked people, if you want to buy a book and go along, that is fine. Uh, I want to read from this book. I'm not a good reader, uh, but I enjoy reading. Uh, I don't take this book and get my sermon from this book on Sunday night. I get the topic of the chapter that you have read, and my sermon comes from that. But tonight is on sin. 
Uh, and uh, that's S-I-N. When I was in Minnesota, I used to have to spell words like that. They didn't know what I was saying. Sin. And they'd go, what is he saying? Sin, S-I-N. I want to read. You get that. Um, walking the aisle. Nobody understood aisle. I would say if you need to come forward and walk the aisle, and they just did not know what aisle was. Uh, I don't know. And I always reminded them, Jesus is from the southern kingdom. So here's J.I. Packard. Apart from the first two chapters of Genesis, which set the stage, the real subject of every chapter of the Bible is what God does about our sins. Lose sight of this theme and you lose your way in the Bible at once. With that, the love of God, the meaning of salvation, and the message of the gospel will all become closed books to you. You may still talk about these things, but you will no longer know what you are talking about. It is clear, therefore, we need to fix in our minds what our ancestors would have called clear views of sin. But this is not easy for at least three reasons. In the first, the Bible doctrine of sin is uncomplimentary to us. And we naturally jib, J-I-B, I have no idea, that must be an English jib, to jib at something. We must naturally, we naturally jib, and this is so true today, that's why I want to read this. We don't talk about sin because the biblical doctrine of sin is uncomplimentary to us. And we would naturally jib at any view of ourselves, which is uncomplimentary. This self-excusing instinct itself is a product of sin. It's very strong. Hence comes the temptation to water down the doctrine of sin. Good men have been yielding to this temptation since the church began. It needs grace and spiritual enlightenment to believe that our sin is a serious thing in God's sight, as the Bible says it is. We need to pray that God will make us humble and teachable when we come to study this theme. In the second place, the Bible doctrine of sin emerges from the Bible knowledge of God's holiness, knowledge which is in short supply these days. Sin is properly understood only from the inside as we find it in ourselves. And like Isaiah in the temple, we start seeing sin in ourselves only when consciously facing a holy God. But in modern Christianity, though thoughts of God's free will and compassion mean much, His holiness and purity means little. In the third place, the biblical doctrine of sin has been secularized in modern terms. People today still talk about sin, but no longer think of it theologically. The word has ceased to convey the thought of an offense against God and now signifies only a breach of accepted standards of decency, particular in secular, sexual matters. But when the Bible speaks of sin, it means precisely an offense against God. Though sin is committed by man and often against society, it is properly, it cannot be properly be defined in terms of be the man of society. We shall never know what sin really is until we learn to think of it in terms of our relationship with God. And I don't know, I could, when did, I don't, this was written in the 80s, I guess, and, and uh, it even had a, an older ring to that. How true is that? I have even been in, in circles to where church growth experts would say, do not talk about the blood of Christ. 
Do not talk about shed blood covering our sin. Do not, you know, take the cross down in your sanctuary. Do anything you can do, but do not offend somebody with the gospel and what sin is. And it's so sad because to me, and I love that, that, that statement, that once we get past the first two chapters of Genesis, the Bible is about the gospel. And the gospel is about our need for forgiveness and what Christ has done for our sin. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin and continue our study tonight. Lord, we thank you for men like J.I. Packer uh, that you have called and stirred their heart uh, to not only pastor churches, but Lord, you've gifted men like that in a unique way to write and communicate the truths of your word. I thank you, Lord, for the church. I thank you that we can gather tonight. We can open up your word. We can sing of the songs of the faith. We can fellowship. We can give of our offering. And we can gather in this manner as the church. And we can hear from you. We can be encouraged. We can be strengthened so that we may live the life out and share the gospel with others. And so, Lord, as we look at a subject that may not be very popular in the culture of the world I pray that it is very popular in our heart and that we understand the seriousness of sin. And in that, we rejoice in the forgiveness of our sin through the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And this we pray in his name. Amen. Take your Bible, if you will, and look at 1 John. We're going to look at some different uh, passages because of it being a topical sermon in nature. Um, It is two Two ways to look at a topical sermon. One is, in the negative standpoint, you don't get to just stay in one point and look at a, 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 a if a message is coming from one section of Scripture, you, you miss being able to just sit in one book and, and unpack it. I guess the positive is it keeps you busy. And you, you go from place to place, and it gives us a, a greater understanding of a, of a biblical, systematic understanding of God's Word. So let's look at the word sin. What is sin? Uh, if we define sin, there's big definitions of it, missing the mark, uh, the idea of, of we not doing what we need to do. Uh, another way that we could say that, sin is any violation of the perfect holiness of God. Well, that's a big one. Anybody violate, may, you know, when we talk about sinning, we, we don't have time for testimony. But did anybody do anything that violates the perfect holiness of God this week? In our thoughts and in our actions, for sure we did. To me, I heard this definition, I've said this a hundred times, uh, and uh, I heard this definition at a vacation Bible school training seminar with, as pastors years ago uh, in, in the panhandle when I pastored there, uh, helping understand pastors how to share the gospel with children. Sin is anything that we do against God that we know we shouldn't do, and we do anyway. I love that definition because it's against God and sin is when we commit that offense. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Have you ever noticed it's the Holy Spirit that takes that offense and shows us that is a sin against God. Isn't it amazing when you sit up under the word of God on a regular basis how God is so quick to point out the ways that we have offended the holy God. But that is what makes the gospel so wonderful. We can confess and we can move on. But sin is anything that we do that goes against the holiness of God and his perfection. It's anything that we know is wrong against God, yet we do it anyway. And that's where scripture is so important. It is the guide by which we should be understanding and seeing and learning the things of God. 
Some verses to consider. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. In verse 5, though, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, continuous action, ongoing action, also practices lawlessness. We break the law. Sin is breaking God's law and what he has asked of us. Romans 3.23. What is Romans 3.23? Somebody want to stand up and recite part of Romans 3.23? All have sinned. Can it, will all just raise your hand? All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Now, if sin was just falling short of something else, then we could look around the room and say, boy, I'm glad this side isn't as bad as that side. And so as long as we act better than these folks, we're not sinning. And we, we do tend to do that, by the way. We kind of look out in culture and say, you know, I'm in high school, I'm a youth, and say, well, you know, I come to church, and, and I go to youth group, and I'm doing these things that are right. I know there's some things in my life not right, and I know God has shown me those things are not right, but I've decided to ignore them because I'm looking at what other kids do at the school, and so I'm not that bad, and they are really sinning, and so I'm comparing my sin to them, and as long as I'm not doing those things, I'm okay. And you ask, where do our youth learn that from? We teach them. I come to church. I I give. I do. I serve. I know there are things in my heart that the Lord continuously convicts me of. And things that I should be doing. Things I should not be doing. But yet I know that I'm better than most. And I'm not as bad as they are. So therefore, I'm okay. That's a... Very bad way of looking at sin is. Sin is between me and the Lord. And it's, I know that I have sinned. And I know that I'm capable of continuing to sin. Uh, I'm grateful the Holy Spirit abides within me. Because if the Holy Spirit was not abiding with me. And I was having to do this on my own. I'm a mess anyway. So you can imagine what type of mess our life gets in. I know that I continue to live following the, the desires of the flesh if I do not seek the face of the Lord and every day ask him to show me that sin is falling short of his glory. Well, we won't solve this tonight, but where does sin come from? When we think about sin, the origin of sin, how did sin begin? Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Somebody asked me one time, why do you not give us handouts with all these verses? Well, a lot of times I'm still working on this on Sunday afternoon and Saturday afternoon, and I don't have a copier at my house that can do this, and so I don't have a chance to make copies and get them to you. It would be easier, though, wouldn't it? James 1, somebody asked me, why don't you get them to the office by Friday? Well, my, my sermon on Friday is 10 minutes long. By Sunday morning, this, we get the good hour in. So if, you, if I turned them in on Friday, you'd get the 10-minute sermon. Uh, and y'all may want to vote for that. Let no one say, James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Have we ever thought about that? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. How many of us have actually tried to blame God on things? Well... 
God shouldn't have, and it's easy to do. Well, if God didn't, well, he would have killed her, yeah. God is not to be blamed for sin. God is not to be blamed for anything. Uh, We can all be guilty of this. We pray for something. We don't get the answer. What is one of the things we can answer? What is one of the responses we can have? We really want something. We don't happen. What do we say? Why didn't God do this? Why did God do this? And see, we're blaming God for something. And we should never blame God. Uh, The God is not where sin comes came from i'm not tempted by god look at ezekiel 28 that's the old testament ezekiel 28 go to the major prophets keep going keep going lamentations ezekiel ezekiel 28 verse 15 A reference to Satan. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Now, I know that's just a little snippet of a verse there. Till unrighteousness was found in you. Sin began in Satan. Uh, It continued with angels that followed him. It continued in man. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We were going good for two chapters, weren't we? It didn't take long. And I I make light of sin and, you know, we need to preach sin and we need to be reminded of depravity. We need to be reminded. It's kind of an odd way to look at it. This is the way I look at it. You know, it's like I want to, we need to be reminded. We messed this thing up. Two chapters, we were going great and we did it. The reason why I do that is because to me, if I realize how terrible and depraved and dead as I was, it makes Jesus that much more glorious. And the alternative is, if we're not that bad, and sin is not that bad, and we were not that bad, then what have we done to the crucifixion? What have we done to what Christ did? And so it doesn't, to the world, it doesn't make sense that we would hammer home sin and hammer home how depraved and wretched we are. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. But in doing so, it points us to the glories of what we have in Christ now. I'm not dead anymore. I'm not depraved anymore. I've been born again in Christ. So the more we talk about how bad we are apart from the gospel, it gives us hope in the gospel. People look at me that way whenever I talk about sin. It'd be a lot easier not even to mention it. But we would never be able to get to the gospel. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, and that it was a delight to the eyes, And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Just doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? What made Genesis 3, 6 a big deal? They ate a mango? No. What made Genesis 3, 6 so... What's the big deal? Sir? I'm sorry. Rebellion against God. God said 
not to. Now, we, you can really dig deep into that and you'll never answer this side of heaven. It's just one of those things you just, you can't ever figure out. God knew they were going to, but he told them not to. Jesus was already in the works. Jesus is there. I mean, it wasn't like, well, now what do we do? You know, uh-oh, they sinned. Let me create Jesus now. No, it, it was always in the works, but yet he said, don't, and they did, and they fell. There are two ways I want us to look at sin and, and to understand it as we understand this, this word. One is what we call original sin, uh, and, and we start here. Original sin is simply this, the sinful state in which all people are born. It's our character. It's our nature. We have no control over it. I know, let me, let me, let me, let me move on. You're still in Genesis. Look at Genesis 3.16. I think we need to understand Genesis 3.16. You could say physically, I don't know. But I think it's more theologically. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you should bring forth children. Now, I guess you could say before the fall, childbirth would have been a piece of cake. Amen. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? But it's not a piece of cake. And so you could look at it and say, well, before the fall, it would have been a piece of cake. There really would have been a stork maybe. But I think it's theological. Now, mothers, what, what, what would happen if you, you and I've, I have been with some of you right after childbirth. I, that's one of the little joys I have in ministry. I selfishly like to be one of the first to see that baby. And I've been there. I've even beat some grandparents there a time or two, and I, I really work at it. So I, I, I bust in because pastors have access to places most people don't. I can go in there and be real serious. Uh, there are pastors here. Oh, come on in. What if I were to walk in that room and go, wow, that is the most beautiful sinner I've ever seen. Oh, my goodness. Y'all really make depravity look good. Yeah. Let me, can I go show the grandparents? I'm going to start putting on Facebook. Look at the sweet, depraved, sinful, separated from God child. Original sin. Yes. Y'all run me out of Dodge, wouldn't you? But that's what's happening. Theologically, when Adam and Eve fell, original sin is a doctrine that goes back. You know, it, it is a, the doctrine that goes back to any Bible believing anybody. And what it is saying is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered in humanity, there is a bridge, there is a gap. Have you ever, how many people are familiar with the eternal life track? You know, and you go through the track and you say there's a gap between us and God and the only thing that can bridge that gap is what? That gap is sin. And the only thing that can bridge sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can go on your little napkin and draw the cross. The only way you can get across the gap is through the cross. And we go through the cross. That is original sin. It doesn't say... There's not a gap between us and God because we're all just good people. No, the, the doctrine of original sin says because of that, I believe, and it doesn't matter what I believe, but I think theologically 316 is not only alluding to the pain, I guess, physically. I think it's theological. 
When we bring into this earth, there, now I'm not talking about an age of accountability and all that stuff. I'll let God take care of that. But I'm telling you that because of Adam and Eve and because of what we call original sin, why do we begin to pray for our, our grandbabies and children the minute they're born? What do we pray? That they would come to know Christ. That's why we take them to church and we get them under the gospel. That's why we pray for them. That's why we encourage God to, you know, God open up their hearts. God, you know, because of original sin, everybody that is born, their character. You know, my, I learned, I've got, I've always said this. I need to start pulling out some of my videos. I've got a, I've got a video of Brantley when he was tiny and he's sitting there with one arm in, in, the, in a cabinet, you know, and he's looking at me and I'm going, don't do that. And he's looking at me like I can't see his arm. And I'm like, son, I am fixing to wear you out. Do not do that. And he's just looking at me, grabbing it and grabbing it and grabbing it. Who taught him that? The deacon's kids? I mean, did, did, when, when you had your child, I've seen some of your children. I know they hadn't had their naps and their allergies flare up. You didn't have to teach them that. They just roll around and act like little terrors because that's what comes out of them. And I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. Charles Ryrie says, we have a constant bent toward sin. Inherited original sin is our character. It's just who we are. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Original sin is also called the sin nature. It has infected our entire being. It is called original sin, emphasizing Adam's sin caused the corrupted nature we each inherit. Another way you could say it is inherited sin, inherited sin slash original sin. That's where we get our term total depravity. And that's one of the, the, the great, and we'll get to that in a few weeks, the great Baptist things that we, we put our, our, our stamp on. This is what we're built on, the idea that man, you think about it. Baptist is known as being one of the, the you know, I don't like to call it denomination, but a Baptist church has always been known as very evangelistic and very mission-minded. And there are others, very evangelistic, very mission-minded. Why are Baptists historically been so evangelistic? Why are Southern Baptists so evangelistic? Because they believe in the depravity of man. It's a southern, we, that's what drives evangelism. Without the gospel, man is dead. If we don't believe in depravity, denominations and church that believe that everybody's just good and everybody's just kind of sinless and there's no depravity, there's not, there's not evangelism going on in those churches. There's not missions going on in those churches. What is going on is kind of a social gospel of helping people. Churches that understand what sin is are the churches that are out there sharing the gospel. That's what makes Baptists, to me, so great. And I know this morning we had people here that were not Baptists, and I wasn't saying that we're the only ones, but I think we're one of the best ones. Total depravity is a related term expressing our total lack of merit in God's sight. Total depravity does not mean we are as bad as we can be, but that we are as bad off as we can be because we have a total sinful nature. What does a little child say when they say, I want to be saved? I want to ask Jesus into my what? Why do we say heart? What does a heart signify? Our total being. And so we know our total being has to change. 
And so it has to change in there so that we can change out here. And so that's why sin is so important that we understand. Look at Psalm 51.5. It's one of those things. I love talking to people. I know I'm not talking to you, but I love talking to people about things in Scripture and they don't like. Have you ever encountered that person? They don't want to believe it and they don't like it. And I always say, well, just take my, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Look at Psalm 51.5. Now, what was David known for? A man after what? Pretty high title, isn't it? Top 10. John the Baptist is up there, but not me, the other John the Baptist. Top, you know, pretty good guy. Probably not David. He did some wicked things, so have we. David's a pretty good guy, right? Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's the nature of sin. Even as a child that we are, we are born and we're separated from God. Ephesians 2.3. And again, I'm not trying to scare us. I'm just trying to point to the glories of the gospel. Ephesians 2.3. Well, you could back up to one. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And whence you once walked. So there's, there, you're dead, but you're living. You're walking. You're, you're spiritually dead, but you're walking in your trespasses and sin. You're, you're not as bad as you could be, but you're, you're spiritually dead. You're not evil, as, as evil as you could be. I mean, you got the Hitlers of the world, and then you just got Billy Bob. But if Hitler's on, a born, uh, not born again, and Billy Bob's not born again, Billy Bob could be a nice guy, and he's still going to bust hell wide open apart from Christ, right? So Billy Bob may be a good guy, but he may not be Hitler, but he's still dead in his trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that is now at work in the son of disobedience, among whom we all once lived... Who's all once lived? Unbelievers, we all once lived. That's why Christians ought to be so excited and and humbled by grace. We're not living that way anymore. We're not walking that way anymore. That's a great motivation for sharing the gospel. You're preaching and caring to somebody, and you're showing them you don't have to walk that way. You don't have to be that way. Allow the gospel to change your life. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature. What is that word? By nature, children of wrath. That is my nature. You know, we talk a lot about the nature of something, the culture of something. It's permeating the culture of society. It's kind of deep-rooted. By your nature, you are children of what? Wrath. When you get in Revelation, what is the, the last aspect? What is the, you've got the seals, you've got the rings, the seals, uh, the the ring, the scroll, the bowls of what? When the bowls of wrath are poured out, what's going to be going on? It isn't going to be pretty. Now, don't worry about it because the child of God's not going to have to be there doing it. But the bowls of wrath is the undiluted anger of God poured out on sin. That's pretty bad. By nature, we once were children of wrath like the rest of mankind aren't you glad if there was a we need to probably come up we got yellow highlighters and red pens we need like gold well i guess you could say red the, the blood of jesus red 
gold highlighters. Look at verse 4. Isn't verse 4 awesome? What, what if we just stopped at verse 3? Wouldn't that be terrible? We're just children of wrath. What does verse 4 say? But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What does John 3.16 tell us? For God so what? Loved. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love. When you, when you look about how, and that's why I keep saying, if you look about how bad we are apart from Christ and what we deserve, and, and another way to think of it, and I know my mind works in different ways, for those that grew up in the 80s, if I were to say ACDC, don't say the words out loud, what would be the first song you would think about? Highway to what? Don't say it. It's a, I'm, I'm embarrassed that, you know, you, you chuckled because you've listened to it too. The song is Highway to Hell. A great way to think about it is, I think we think that we're all on the highway to heaven. And we're on the highway to heaven. And we decided to take Jesus and we're just on the way to heaven. And, and that he sends people to hell or they go to hell. No, 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 no. We're on the hell express. And apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, what happens to someone that does not receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where, where are they going? Hell. And so we're not talking about the age of accountability, but since birth, if that person is born and he grows up, he comes out the wound, he literally, theologically, we're not talking about age of accountability, don't panic on me. They're born highway to hell. It is only by the mercy and love of God through the gospel that we're allowed to go to heaven. That is a radical way to look at things. But it gives us great hope in the gospel. Well, let me hurry. I will just say this. I'm not going to look at the scripture. The idea, and this is a big word, but we're big people. We have original sin that affects our nature, but theologically there is also imputed sin. And imputation means putting to someone else's account that which may or not be his. The imputation of Adam's sin to mankind means that Adam's first sin was rightly charged to the account of every other person. Someone may be may protest that it doesn't seem fair that others are charged with Adam did, but the Bible teaches that all were in Adam, Romans 5.12, we all unconsciously participate in Adam's sin. Theological words that mean this, our character is affected, and by nature we're going to live that way. Imputation means that the judgment is also there, and that because of what Adam did, we will face judgment of God. And eternity in hell. We, we stand before a holy God guilty because of the sin of Adam. Now, real quickly. How about personal sin? Personal sin is any thought or attitude, act, or failure to act that violates God's standard of perfect holiness. How many... 
Anybody do that this week? Raise hand, hold them high. Am I the only one? Any thought or attitude, action, or failure to act that violates God's standard of perfect holiness. I am alive, but sin is still an issue. Personal sin. James 3.2, we all stumble in many ways. Romans 3.23 again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The unbeliever, personal sins prevent him from having fellowship in a personal relationship with God until he is saved. The believer as well loses the enjoyment of fellowship with God when he lives with sins unconfessed. Look at 1 John 1.9, a great verse that should be part of our life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all what? Unrighteousness. How much is all? I love the word all. For all of sin, if I show the glory of God, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us all our sins. What does confess mean? It means to agree. It means to pronounce. It means to forsake. You know, to confess is this is a book and the book is bad. And I don't need the book. And I agree that it is wrong. And I'm going to set the book down. And I'm never going to pick the book up again. I have confessed it's wrong. I believe it's wrong. And I'm stepping away from it. But what do we tend to do? But I really like that book. This book is wrong. I'm denouncing it. I'm putting back. I'm never going to touch it again. Gosh, I like this book. And so, you know, we can say that. I've told somebody about some of the habits that I had. I don't, I don't call them addictions. I call them habits. I had a drinking problem. And I think the saddest thing that I have, even in my testimony with that, is that I drank for too long a time after I knew it was wrong. And I would set it down and pick it back up and set it down and pick it back up. And as Matthew says, sometimes there just has to be some radical amputation. My guilt was I liked people and I liked my buddies. And so I would say, I'm not going to do that ever again. I hate it. I want to walk with Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. Gosh, I like my guys. I love my buddies. So I think, I'll be strong. I can do this. Here are my buddies. Well, guess what my buddies were doing? Sometimes you just have to say, you know what? I love Jesus more than I love my buddies. We ought to confess it, agree with God, forsake it, and turn from it. The key is agreeing with God. How do I agree with God what is in my life that should not be? By reading his word, by praying, by worship. Personal sins are obviously related to inherited sin and imputable sin. Personal sins are the visible and noble expressions of our sin nature and that sin. Sin in the life of a Christian. There's the reality of sin that is there, but there's also the consequences of sin. Look at Roman Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not regard lightly, Hebrews 12, 5, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. What is the consequences of sin of a believer? Discipline. 
If you are a child, it's like when we look at someone in our life, if we look at somebody, I use pastors as an example. When I see a pastor that makes a very bad mistake morally and ethically and biblically, and there seems to be no season of discipline, I always tell myself, be careful. It's going to happen. Or either he was not a child of God. I would say that it's very difficult. To me, this is John speaking. I think as I look at Scripture, how many of us would be willing to say, you don't have to raise your hand, there's a family member, there's a child, there's a relative that you saw some fruits, you saw a decision, but you, you don't see it now, and they're away from church. I believe a true child of God will return. So that gives me great hope. If I know that someone there is a child of God and they have made a true confession of faith and they are living in personal sin and they've gotten cold to the Spirit and they're living a carnal life and they're living a disobedient life, if they were truly born again, I think they will return. And I pray that way. But in the same time, I'm praying that they may truly know thee because if they did not know Christ, they may never return. Let you in a little pastor insight. You know how hard it is to do a funeral for somebody that everybody tells me they were saved 30 years ago and there's been no fruit worthy of repentance? What does everybody in the audience want me to say? Can you live 20, 30, 40, 50 years with no fruits of the gospel, nothing in your life that protects a Christ follower? And we're banking on something that was said in a 45-minute service 50 years ago. You may notice this. I'll let you in a little secret on Sunday night. Very rarely will you ever hear me say, when I do a funeral, I know where they are. Because I don't know where they are. But do you ever notice when I do a funeral with somebody, when I know where they are, it kind of feels like we're having church. I believe we know. I, I think of my dad. And so many of you on Wednesday nights are faithfully praying for my dad. I want him to be saved so bad. I have seen him do things for periods of time. I've seen emotional responses. Years ago, I've seen things. But it has been so long that I have seen anything. There's no way that I can comprehend that he is a child of God living for the Lord if there's been no fruits worthy of repentance for 20 and 30 years. I really believe if someone is a child of God that they will return. 1 Corinthians 11.30. So real quick, I'm just going to say these out loud. The consequences of sin in a believer, discipline, Write this down, 1 Corinthians 11.30. Don't believe me for it. Take God's word for it. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Consequences in the sin of a believer. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Death and sickness. That's pretty harsh to think about. I've heard a pastor say one time, they were doing so much harm down here as a believer, it's just easier to take them on home. This is funny. I, I didn't have time. I had so much I wanted to share this morning. I couldn't do it. I'm going to do it in a service. I'm going to do it on Sunday morning, though. I want to read some minutes from early church. I'm going to tell you, we've messed church up. This generation, your generation, 
the generation before you, we have taken the church and we have turned this thing sideways. In the early church, in early Baptist church, 1800s Baptist church, they took sin seriously. You know where I'm going with this? I've got documentation where they brought before the church Deacon Billy Bob because Deacon Billy Bob was seen coming out of the saloon and it gave the church a bad name. Standing up in front of the church, could you imagine me? Well, I've got my list out this Sunday. I'm going to ask the following people to come forward, please. Could you imagine what in the world? There wouldn't be a person left this church and they'd be filling all the other churches in town. Wendell Smith has got some minutes of his something, something, something over there where he lived, out there around Charlie Creek, and they had to bring a nephew up for frolicking or whatever he was doing. The church took sin very seriously, and they dealt with it, and it kept the church pure. Ananias and Sapphira gave a bad offering. How'd that work out for them? That would be a very unique offering taking up time, wouldn't it? Throw a little tip in there for God and just fall out on the floor. Part of our usher ministry would be hauling out bodies ministry. The remedy for sin, I'll just close with this. Love Jesus. Love his word. If you're a believer and you've confessed your sin and you've repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Christ, you don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to worry about the wrath of God ever. But if you're here tonight and you never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, death and hell is a threat away. But if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you have been justified and declared righteous before God, and you will never face the wrath of God because you are a child of God. But if you are a believer and you're living with sin in your life, you don't have to be told this. There's no joy in your life. There's no purpose in your life. There's no sweet spirit in your life. There's not the joy. As David would say when he sinned with Bathsheba, return to me the joy of our salvation. Create in me a clean heart. I would say if you're an unbeliever, you need to give your life to Christ and deal with the punishment of sin. If you're a believer and there's sin in your life, confess that sin, renounce that sin, cling to Christ and move on. And find the sweet fellowship and joy of the Lord. Confessing sin is a major truth to the Christian life. It brings cleansing positionally. It brings cleansing with our fellowship. Sin is a terrible thing. In church, we need to preach it. But as we preach sin, we preach the hope of the gospel. And the hope of the gospel is the joy of our salvation. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, as we about to sing about what it means to surrender and to live for you, we are grateful that sin has been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. We are grateful for the harshness and the ugliness and the seriousness of sin because it is compared to your holiness. But we're thankful that you sent your son to die on a cross for that sin so that we may know you. And Lord, I just pray tonight that we would know that gospel and receive that gospel, that we would live out that gospel and that we would surrender to that gospel, that we would forsake sin and live for you. 
And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.